0: Welcome to this special edition of the Strategy-Driven Podcast, an interview with Robert Simons, author of Seven Strategy Questions. On behalf of the entire Strategy-Driven team, I would like to welcome you to this special edition of the Strategy-Driven Podcast. An interview with Robert Simons, author of Seven Strategy Questions. The Strategy Driven podcast focuses on the tools and techniques executives and managers can use to improve their organization's alignment and accountability to ultimately achieve superior results. These podcasts elaborate on the best practice and warning flag articles found on the Strategy Driven website at www.strategydriven.com. In this special edition podcast, Robert Simons shares with us his insights on the seven strategy questions that can help an organization's leaders identify gaps within their strategy and its execution. By asking and effectively answering these questions, executives and managers gain the insight necessary to better align their organization's day-to-day operations to the optimal achievement of mission goals thereby enhancing overall bottom-line results. And so now, without any further delays, let's get started. We are privileged to be joined by Robert Simons, author of Seven Strategy Questions, Robert is the Charles M. Williams Professor of Business Administration at the Harvard Business School. For 25 years, he has taught accounting, management control, and strategy implementation courses in the Harvard MBA and executive education programs. Robert's research has been published in the Harvard Business Review and the Strategic Management Journal, among others. Bob, welcome to the Strategy Driven Podcast.
1: Well, thank you, Nathan. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: I am thrilled that you are able to join us this evening. I really liked how you laid out these very key questions that all leaders should be thinking about with respect to not just the formulation but the implementation of their strategy. And, you know, strategy-driven is fundamentally built around the precept that a clear, forward-looking strategy that's translatable – into the day-to-day activities of all the organization members is really critical in the fast-paced and rapidly changing business environment that we're faced today. And, of course, you address this in your book, Seven Strategy Questions. I was wondering, what do you find are the benefits of a leader routinely asking strategy questions?
1: Well, first of all, Nathan, I'm, I'm very glad that you made the distinction between strategy formation and strategy implementation or execution, because I want to be clear to your listeners that what I am focusing on is very much strategy execution. So I'm taking as a starting point uh, the idea that your organization has a clear sense of direction where they want to go, and my, uh, I hope, contribution is to give people a way of testing and questioning that strategy to make sure it is being executed effectively. Now, having said that, uh, I believe these questions will, in fact, lead people to question the strategy, the robustness, and ensure that we'll be competitive in the marketplace. Now, to your question, the reason that I feel so strongly that asking questions is the right approach is I have become increasingly convinced working with executives in in many companies and executive uh, teaching at Harvard that we are often, too often, avoiding tough choices when it comes mm-hmm. to strategy, and we have become a little bit complacent. Uh, this came in, in large part from going through a long period, uh, up until the financial crisis, where companies were actually doing very, very well, markets were prospering, and people thought that they could have it all. And instead of making tough choices, we tried to be everything to everyone. And so what I want to do is use these questions to encourage managers and leaders and executives to challenge their organization to ensure that their assumptions, that the key underpinnings of the strategy are, in fact, robust and will allow the business to move forward.
0: That's been my experience as well. I've had an opportunity to work with managers at a number of various organizations. I work with a lot of utility managers. And it seems when I help them with their decision-making processes, they, as you put it, try to please everybody. Yes. And and don't come to the realization that there's no perfect solution to any decision. And what you have to do is fundamentally understand what the business strategy is, what the business goals are, and serve them first. And then the others are nice ancillaries to, to pick up if, if possible.
1: And I think that's exactly right. And... Uh this issue that you raise becomes increasingly important as your market becomes more competitive. So the, the questions that I developed really are essential, in my view, for anyone running a business that has lots lots of competitors that people are all uh, chasing the same customers and markets and trying to outdo one another. These questions, I think, will give your organization the impetus to uh, go that little bit further and faster to ensure you win in the marketplace.
0: And Bob. Because we're talking about questions, I don't want to keep the audience in suspense too much longer. Would you mind telling us what the seven strategy questions are?
1: Okay, well, let me recap them briefly, and please uh, stop me if, if uh, I can add some more uh, understanding to them. But the first okay. question, to give people a flavor of what I am doing, uh, at one level seems a common sense question, but it's quite difficult. And that question is, who is your primary customer? And as you will see from a variety of these questions, I, I put a lot of attention on the adjectives, so in this case, primary. And here again, people often avoid tough choices based by saying we have many different types of customers. Why this question is so important is choosing your primary customer should be the primary driver of how you allocate resources in your business. And if that's not crystal clear for everyone in your your company, it's very hard to win a competitive race. So, So the first question, who is your primary customer? And with that question, have you organized to deliver maximum value to your customer? Second question, again focusing on an adjective, is how do your core values prioritize shareholders, employees, and customers? Uh, my experience, and I'm sure yours as well and, and those of your audience, are that many companies have had very nice list of core values, and you'll see them in, in credos and wall charts and all wallet cards, v- very nice, very aspirational, very proud. Yes. I argue that, in fact, these are a recipe for underperformance. Uh, because coming back again to the adjective core, the only purpose or the main purpose for values, core values, is to tell people which direction to turn when they're faced with very tough choices and conflicts. And so if you cannot tell stories in your business about where employees have consistently, time after time, put customers first or consistently, time after time, put employees first or consistently, time after time, put shareholders first, uh, then I think, again, you're probably likely to dilute the effort of your business and underperform. Mm -hmm. Question number three, uh, what critical performance variables are you tracking? The adjective critical is critical in this case because uh, what I have found, and I think many would appreciate this, is the problem today with uh, information technology, the ability to measure more and more at, at lower and lower cost, the adoption of balanced scorecards and a variety of other measurement techniques, people are un- inundated with measures. We're just overloaded. With measures, and uh, the, the adjective critical reminds us that we have to identify not the 30 or 40 or 50 things that are relevant for success, but the small number, the six or seven things that, that could literally cause us to fail, and make sure that those are at the top of everything we are monitoring on a day-to-day basis. Question number four relates uh, others, and this asks the question: What strategic boundaries have you set? Uh, The more you want to innovate, the more you want to empower people to take risks, the more you want to see the business uh, work hard to win in the marketplace, it becomes essential that people have a sense of what is off limits. And this will be ethical boundaries to protect your franchise, but also, importantly, strategic boundaries. What you will not do in the marketplace, recognizing that trying to be everything to everyone in every market Uh, can only mean one thing, and that's you don't have a clear strategy. So so set those boundaries and communicate them. Question number five, how are you generating creative tension? And the issue here is the, the, the vehicles that you're using in your business to push people out of their comfort zones, because the more that innovation and competition and moving quickly becomes important, the less that you can afford having people feel comfortable or being stuck in a rut. And so there's a variety of techniques uh, from stretch goals to uh, widening performance measures to ranking systems that different companies do to make people constantly look over their shoulder trying to to ensure that they're winning competitors in a race where they can beat their uh, competition. Question number six. Uh, is how committed are your employees to helping each other? And This is a question I suspect that is deeply embedded in most organizations, but people have not addressed specifically. Mm -hmm. Some organizations are focused on self-interest. Trading organizations might be an example, and that's perfectly correct. Others, uh, the idea of helping each other to help a customer becomes enormously important. But you need to be clear as a leader which way you want your organization to tilt, towards self-interest or helping others. And once you've made that decision, there are a variety of techniques that you need to use to ensure the business is is uh, consistently going in the right direction. And the final question is, what strategic uncertainties keep you awake at night? And uh, if you had a chance to look at the book, in that chapter I, I make the assertion, in the opening paragraph, it is only three certainties in life, death, taxes, and the fact that today's strategy will not work tomorrow. Yes. And that third point is with 100% confidence and certainty. What you're doing today, as good as it may be, will not work in the future. And this may be uh, as a result of changing technology, demographics, competition, regulation, you name it. But sooner or later, things will change fundamentally in a way that if you don't uh, predict and and move quickly, you risk uh, being left behind. So this last question, what strategic uncertainties keep you awake at at night, asks each leader to set up systems in the business uh, to focus everyone's attention on these uncertainties, to stimulate debate, dialogue, and make sure you're constantly searching for change so that 10 or 20 or 30 years from now, you will be one of the few companies that succeeded rather than a footnote in the history of, uh, of uh, businesses that, that ran and lost lost the race.
0: And as I read your book, the seven questions spoke to me about two primary themes, and one was the creation of clarity and the other of focus.
1: That's exactly right.
0: So I was wanting to ask as a next question was, What makes these seven questions so powerful? Why these seven and not maybe a group of of ten or a a dozen questions?
1: Well, it's a very good question, and uh, many people will be wondering what what gives me the right to say these are the right things to ask. Uh, There is a little bit of a story here. I had done research, as you mentioned in your introduction, over the past 25 years, In the first uh, ten or so of those years, I was focusing on performance measurement control systems as vehicles for implementing and executing strategy. And I I wrote a a book and and did a lot of work then coming up with a framework focusing on four key variables that that we had to get right if we wanted to get a performance measurement and control systems aligned with our execution efforts. Uh, Then I turned to a second major project focusing on organization design, the second big topic in strategy execution, and again over a period of five to seven years working with executives and companies and case studies and writing, etc., came up with, a, again, a framework with four variables. And so these eight variables uh, were essentially the genesis of these questions, and, and to know how it got down to seven, there was actually one variable that was common between the two approaches. Ah. So this work over some 20 years uh, focused essentially on, on seven variables. And uh, it was also obvious to me that it is a little bit silly, I think, sometimes for those of us who are uh, instructors or consultants or others to say that we know your business better than you do and we're smart enough to tell you the right answers to run your business successfully. And I have come to believe that if I can teach people or inspire people around asking the right questions, then you uh, and your listeners can take these and work with them as they choose in their business. Now, the other thing, and I think, Nathan, you mentioned this before with with the idea of focus in the comments, the the questions are designed to get at the real roots of, of successful strategy implementation, two of them focus on the foundation of your business. Who's your primary customer? What are your core values? Two of the questions focus on driving better focus, uh, tracking performance goals. And so this is what are your critical uh, measures? And then the uh, boundaries question is around controlling strategic risk. Two of the questions ask you to facilitate behaviors in your organization. So for example, generating creative tension is trying to spur innovation and asking how committed your employees are to helping each other is is building commitment uh, in the business as people work with each other. And the final question is focusing on the future. Even if you've got everything lined up perfectly today, you still have to allocate significant leadership attention to make sure that the business is constantly adapting moving forward.
0: There was something that you said that brought back one of my early experiences, and that is the teacher helping the students to to recognize they need to ask the question. As an early part of my career I was in the service and I was an officer overseeing a group on a nuclear submarine and not everything runs perfectly every day and so I was seeking some guidance from my engineer and his one piece of thought or guidance, his counsel you would say, was You need to know what questions to ask. It's all about asking the right questions at the right time. Like you said, you can never know somebody else's business as well as they do. In my circumstance, I could never know everything that was going on at all times, even though it was my business.
1: And when you're discussing, uh, as you say, overseeing a nuclear submarine, this is a situation where you can't, Ever allow uh, unstated assumptions not to be surfaced and, and discussed because the danger is in a business setting, people go through their day-to-day activities often uh, with the best of intentions, but not coming back to make those tough choices. So, if we're not clear, for example, who our primary customer is, it may be that we're allocating 50% of the resources to one type of customer who, who values low price we're allocating another 50% of our resources to a customer who's looking for high value features. And the problem with that strategy is trying to be a little bit, uh, put a little bit of your resources to one customer, a little bit of resources to another type of customer, the competitor who is more focused will beat you every time because they're going to put 100% of the resources uh, against one dimension and they'll just plain do it better. And so right. each one of these questions is forcing you to say, how do you make this tough choice consistently again and again, day after day to ensure that you win the race? Absolutely. You know, Bob,
0: to me, you are in the perfect position to have formulated these seven questions because you talk about the various students that you've had and and the executives and managers and the, the companies you've had an opportunity to work with. Uh, over the 25 years, and certainly, for those that read your book, they're going to find these are the leading companies that people around the world admire and seek to emulate. I, was I think that would be true. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, that, that's what I walked away with as as I read your book. Right. So just right. just a great number of resource and opportunity that you had to draw on those folks, I was wondering, did you find any one individual or one company, though, that truly modeled or routinely asked all seven of the strategy questions? And and if so, how did they evolve to that position?
1: Uh, Nathan, I wish I could answer easily in the affirmative saying, here's the perfect company that does this right all the time. Mm-hmm. and uh, i hope you you and your audience won't be disappointed to hear that no one seems to get this right every day just like uh, none of us seem to get everything right in life as we go through our our, our day uh, to to your earlier point uh, and i just wanted to before i answer your question directly one of the tremendous benefits that i did have in developing this work at harvard is uh, at the time i was doing this i was Chairman of our Advanced Management Program, which is our senior-level uh, in-house executive program, and, and developing these questions was the core of that program over a three-year period. And so I, I used that very much as a as a learning lab as I took my previous research and tried to ensure that this was resonating with people, that I was getting the right kind of reaction. So I fine-tuned this over that over that period of time. Now, to your question directly, I sense you're looking for for me to point to specific companies who do this really well. Uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I can certainly do that question by question. I think, uh, I guess for overall, if I was, had to choose one company that I thought did the best job on the most of these questions most of the time, never perfect, it may be a company like Johnson & Johnson. Uh, And for those of you who know this company, founded back in the mid-1940s, went public I guess in 1944, this is a company that has truly over uh, these decades reinvented itself time and time and time again and any of your listeners who uh, know Johnson & Johnson or compete against it will know just what a formidable competitor this company is and uh, I believe that it's... Uh, compound annual growth rate in terms of its stock price has been 17% per year over this entire span of 70-plus uh, years, as they have constantly used these questions to try to push the business forward. Now, there are many other companies that I know of that do a very good job on specific parts of this, so in terms of ask, understanding who the primary customer is and allocating resources, uh, probably no one at the moment beats Amazon. Uh, Amazon.com in terms of doing They have made, and, and, and to understand the problem Amazon faced, as their business was building, they had to make a strategic choice as to whether to make consumers uh, who were buying directly from their website the primary customer or to include in that list the, the uh, third-party retailers who were hosting their storefronts on Amazon's site. Mm -hmm. and there was a tug-of-war, and they decided very clearly that the consumer would come first. And this has caused some angst among the uh, third-party retailers, but Amazon has been absolutely insistent that any choice would be made in the benefit of of consumers, and as a result of that, their customer loyalty and satisfaction scores are through the roof. Just tremendously good. The second question on prioritizing core values Uh, And remember, this question asks you, who does a specially good job in saying, do employees come first, do customers come first, do shareholders come first? Companies Mm -hmm. like Merck, the pharmaceutical company, uh, has been very good and consistent in putting uh, patients and customers first. Uh, Nucor and Southwest are very well known for always putting employees first, never had a layoff. And there's a number of firms, good firms like Pfizer and others, uh, that have consistently put shareholders first. Mm-hmm. So here again, there's no right or wrong answer, but what is important is everyone understand what the theory is. It's communicated clearly, and people up and down the organization use that theory to make the right choices day in and day out consistently.
0: Right, and and like you said, everybody knows what the strategy is. So I might be a low-level person in the organization, but I still understand how it relates to my job and when I'm asked to make a decision, then it becomes much easier for me to even just do my job.
1: That's precisely right. And so, for example, on on this issue you raised, the question around uh, performance variables, what critical performance variables are you tracking, Mm -hmm. exactly to your point, if you look at companies like Marriott or Nordstrom Uh, that we know very well, these are companies that have figured out how to have a very small number of variables that communicate strategy extremely clearly to people, so there's no uncertainty about which way to turn, and you contrast this to the majority of companies that have built scorecards with 20, 30, 40 measures, and people end up not really sure what the strategy is or which way to turn uh, as they try to execute.
0: Right, because in their case, Everything's important. And when everything's important... Everything's important.
1: important. Yeah, nothing's important. That's exactly right. If everything's important, nothing's important, just as you said. Yep. Now,
0: Bob, if we have some of our listeners who want to make sure that their organization is more routinely, maybe even more rigorously, asking themselves these seven strategy questions, is there something that they can do to... Maybe even a little bit more formally embed it into the way they execute on their business.
1: This actually, Nathan, is not difficult to do. Uh, I, I've tried this with a variety of companies and managers, and so I would very much advise your audience, uh, listener, individual listeners, that just to take the questions and uh, try them at whatever level, whatever level you're comfortable with, to, to to try to understand their power, to try to understand how to use them and see how your organization responds. Mm-hmm. The uh, you've, Nathan, you've had a chance to see the book. It's a very, I on purpose kept this very small and concise. There's a checklist at the back, and my vision for this thing was literally that someone could flip it in their pocket and almost carry it around with them as a tutorial in terms of the kinds of things they should should be asking. This will be relevant at the boardroom level, but it's equally uh, uh, relevant for a manager running a small group or a small business uh, I just have finished teaching a, uh, an executive program at Harvard for CEOs, and we, we spent uh, two mornings going through the questions. And any number of them have, 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 were, got so excited about the concept, they're going back, and they're going to take these seven questions and use them to run a management meeting with their direct reports, just ensuring that people understand and can be challenged on this. So this is the kind of thing uh, that you do not need to hire a fancy consulting firm to come in and do this for you. I think uh, when you read the questions and understand them, they are of sufficient common sense that when people look at them and understand the discipline involved, there's no reason why anyone couldn't take them and use them.
0: Oh, I couldn't agree more. I can think of some of the off-sites that I've helped prepare executive teams for, and, and you could take each of the seven questions and have kind of a working session around the questions. And then likewise, all of the vice presidents or the directors could facilitate the same kind of meeting with their direct reports and, and so on and so on.
1: That's that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. And we just did a session like that with uh, with a, a, a very large company. Uh, and this was a large business unit within this company, the, I guess they probably represented uh, maybe 10 or 15 thousand employees of a company that has 120 thousand employees. And just as you said, they took the seven questions, they broke into work groups, they wrestled with them, they came back, reported, and you could see the excitement building around some of the uh, both the importance of this question and some discomfort where they realized that people were struggling uh, and they were disagreeing with each other. They were unsure who the primary customer was they didn't, they didn't really understand how their core values helped people make priorities and very quickly they were developing short to-do lists that they would take back to the organization to provoke a discussion how they would move this, this, uh, this idea forward and make sure we got some clarity on it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that, that group now clearly understands what kind of uh, strategic initiative they need to undertake and, and that is to get especially and if it's around it's, the customer question.
1: Well, that's that's right. For, for, for some of these, these two foundational ones, who's your primary customer, mm-hmm. and again I'm asking you to choose. Choose one, and the flip side of this, of course, is equally hard because when you choose a primary customer and try to maximize resources around that customer, the flip side is you need to minimize resources around everything else. Yes. And people feel some discomfort because uh, that means you've got to find the minimum amount of resources for your staff groups, your support areas, and certainly they need enough for legitimate operations, but every dollar you can save there is another dollar you can apply to something your customer values, which will allow you to prevail in the marketplace. And just as an aside there, uh, one thing that people have to watch for is, is in my view, being treading very carefully using the word customer internally. This is something that most companies do. It's a very common practice, Mm -hmm. but if you follow this train of thought that you want to allocate all possible resources to meet and exceed the needs of your primary customer, you need to be very careful not to congratulate yourself or allocate or divert resources internally to people you're calling customers.
0: Right, and I see that even um, pronounced uh, again uh, being a utility and a nuclear guy, uh, or you could apply this really to any utility. Uh, it seems like organizations focus on serving the operations department. Yes, and, and they forget that that's that's actually not the point. <laughs> that well, that,
1: they're that's not that's the right.
0: customer. Yeah,
1: that's precisely right. And this is in fact one of the reasons. Not, well, there's two reasons in the book uh, why Toyota has got itself in trouble. With quality these days, and one of the reasons is the previous CEO before Mr. Toyota, who's who's currently there. But the previous CEO told people in the assembly plants and the uh, production facilities that the people down the line from you, the person down the line from you, is also your customer, and Uh he was preaching that they should treat internal people as customers, and and so they uh, that's one thing they lost focus on who the who the real customer was and what they valued. And the second issue is uh, back to this question of strategic boundaries Mm -hmm. and what strategic boundaries have you set. And many people don't know that over the decades of Toyota's growth, one of the key ingredients to its success was they had a very clear strategic boundary that they would never produce a new product in a new plant with new people. and. Uh With that boundary in place, it ensured whenever they moved to a new country or expanded into a new product line or hired new people, there was always learning being transferred to protect quality. Mm-hmm. But a few years ago, uh, they, they got it in their heads that they wanted to beat General Motors. And so they started to push volume and market share, and they and they basically gave this, this boundary up. So for the first time, they started to produce products uh, in factories with people who had not done it before, and all of a sudden, the quality deteriorated and, and ended up in a terrible crisis for them. Sure, sure.
0: Now, Bob, for my last question, you know, I recognize that not everything can be proceduralized or, or put in some sort of physical process. That, in fact, we rely on our people, our managers, our executives to think strategically as a really a part of who they are. And especially as we're developing those managers that are rising up through our organization and, and we believe someday will become executives, we're challenging them to even think more strategically as they're advancing through the organization. Is there something a leadership team can do to foster that instinctive nature to ask these seven strategy questions among the, the managers that they're developing and hope that one day that they'll take over the reins as executives?
1: Nathan, I think of the questions you've asked me during our session, this is probably the easiest one to answer. Okay. Because the trick here is so simple that everyone will know it when you hear it, but the way to make this happen is actually to do it yourself if you're a boss because what people forget is everyone watches what the boss watches. Uh, and everyone is trying to understand what his or her agenda is, what they're paying attention to, but people forget that you're a boss, we're a boss, and so everything we do, in fact, is sending a signal about what's important to us, our priorities, how we should be allocating our time. So if you want to embed this kind of a thinking in your organization, this questioning, this challenging, all that means simply, as a boss, this is what you must do and every day consistently and with enough predictability that people know what these questions are, why they're on your mind, why they keep being repeated, and people will in fact lower in the organization mimic that approach. Uh, It will cascade down naturally. It doesn't need, you don't have to send memos or order people to do it. If the boss does this consistently, everyone that reports to that person will pick up the clue, the cue and and be doing it as well. so the the short answer to that question is if you want this to happen in your own organization, just plain do it. but you you have to stay with this consistently that because if you're erratic and you're turning on and off, people will just be either confused or anxious. But if you're doing this constantly and, and to that point,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it is very, very important the kind of culture you build around the questioning process because you are trying to ask people to take risks, to um, share ideas with them, and it's very, very important that when they come into these meetings, uh, the questions really must focus on what is right, not uh, who is right. So these questions should be typically face-to-face. It's important that you can work together uh, in a collegial way. They will cascade down the organization, and it, it is critically important at the end of every discussion that we end up with the most, most important question of all, which is after we've, we've worked this idea, we've gone back and forth on it, what are you going to do about it? Because the purpose of these questions is not just to provoke an academic exercise or increased awareness. It is absolutely to drive action planning. So each one of these questions, by the time you work through them, should end in the most critical question, how is this going to be translated into action?
0: Absolutely, because it's only that action that's going to improve our bottom line, ultimately.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Well, Bob, I want to thank you not only for your time, but for sharing your insights on the seven strategy questions that really do help align our day-to-day activities with our business strategy i thoroughly enjoyed not only our conversation but your book i really appreciated the fact that what you recommended in the book is immediately implementable i hope our listeners will pick up a copy of seven strategy questions and more importantly i hope that they'll take your recommendations And they'll implement them within their own organizations because I know it's going to help them achieve greater efficiency and effectiveness in the way they execute their business strategy, which, as we just talked about, will help them enjoy a more robust bottom line. So, Bob, thank you again for joining us.
1: Well, Nathan, thank you for inviting me to do this. It's been my pleasure, and I hope... Uh, your listeners will enjoy some of the ideas Uh, and mentioning again that these really are common sense notions. It's just getting clarity and thinking and some discipline and execution in my view is the key. So thank you for the discussion. Thank you.
0: Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this special edition of the Strategy Driven Podcast. I would like to personally thank Robert Simons for being with us today and sharing his insights on how to improve the alignment between an organization's strategy and its implementation activities. As always, we would appreciate receiving your feedback by email at podcast at strategydriven.com. If you enjoyed the show, please consider voting for us on Podcast Alley and visiting our website at www.strategydriven.com. You can find more information about Robert Simons and seven strategy questions on the Harvard Business School's Working Knowledge website, directly accessible from the article accompanying this podcast. Until next time, so long.